This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm Bill Bartholomew. Today, something a little different. I was invited to have a conversation at the Rhode Island State House with a couple of really interesting people, one of whom is Rabia Chaudhry, who is an attorney, author, and podcast host and really well known for her work on the Adnan Syed case. You may remember this from the podcast Serial, as well as Rabia's podcast Undisclosed and her New York Times bestselling book, Adnan Story, The Search for Truth and Justice After Serial. So um, this conversation also features Robin Call, who is a book influencer from Reading with Robin. And again, sort of an impromptu, hey, Robbie is going to be in town to give a speech. She gave a speech earlier this week at the Aurora Club in Providence. So this invite came out, and again, we just met up at the Rhode Island State House. And you'll hear it's we're we're kind of bouncing around a lot of different topics, and just a great opportunity to sit down with somebody who has done the work. And you'll even hear as Robbie introduces herself, she doesn't describe herself initially as a podcaster or a broadcaster or anything like that. It really is about the work that that took place on the show that is defining her identity and I would even say perhaps her her mission. Um, And and I just think that's a really fascinating thing is that we're in an era where there's so much content out there and you can peel the onion back a little bit and start to ask yourself, well, what is the content for? Is it serving just to build – name recognition of the person who's behind that content, you know, brand building, or are you actually doing work? So that, I guess, would be sort of the main takeaway from this conversation that we had. Um, You know, I would highly recommend anybody who hasn't checked out Robbie's work, be it through Serial or subsequently with Undisclosed and and the books, um, highly recommend you do so. You know, this is a major character in... A lot of really important work that has taken place on innocence and in an exploding area of true crime, right? The innocence aspect of things is perhaps arguably the most important aspect of all of that work. Of course, justice in general matters, but there's something about the work of be it institutes or individuals proving innocence, those who have been wrongfully convicted, over helping to overturn that that just stands out as such a colossally important aspect of the type of work that you can do as an individual out there no matter what your background is now of course with Robbie being an attorney it certainly advances the cause significantly and having built a brand so to speak um, through her work it also allows for a great platform for that megaphone to be heard in a wider and perhaps more uh, entrenched realm. But I don't know. I just thought this conversation was pretty relaxed. And we touch on women's history, uh, particularly particularly because we recorded this on, on International Women's Day. A lot of interesting stuff in here. Check it out. Um, my name is Rabia Chaudhary. I'm an attorney and advocate. My name's Robin Call. I am a book influencer, reader, and uh, yeah, book pusher. Beautiful. (laughs) So here we are at the Rhode Island State House, and you know, there's specific reasons why we're here today having this conversation. But then there's there's a big picture sort of question that 
or, or, or topic, I guess, that we could get into, which is, I think, the power of doing something. You know, the, and, and we were kind of talking offline about not just um, protest, peaceful or otherwise, but actually taking action, be it uh, as an attorney, be it as a, a voice in a broadcast or podcast context, just within your community. So let's start with that theme. You've done something pretty spectacular and continue to do so. Um, I've talked about it in the intro. Tell us about your world and, and what it's like now to kind of build on the momentum you've already established with such important work. You know, you'll, you'll, you might have noticed that I introduced myself as an attorney and advocate, not necessarily as a podcaster and author. And the reason for that is because, you know, I have been doing advocacy since 9-11 on behalf of the American Muslim community. And a lot of us who were young at the time, right out of college. I mean, like we just became, you know, without wanting to, advocates. And for me, you know, whether it was, it's the podcasting, whether it's the book I wrote about Adnan, whether it's a lot of the work, these are all tools of my advocacy, frankly. You know, I, it's hard for me to still consider myself like, I don't introduce myself as a podcaster because I use my podcast as a means to an end for the most part. Um, and for me, like I, you know, I went to law school thinking I want to be a filthy rich corporate lawyer. And then 9-11 happened, and there were all these things happening around us that just required so much attention and people and resources, and I couldn't look away. And um, when you start doing like the kind of work that has like direct impact on people's lives, you kind of end up doing it in one way or the other, I feel like, for the rest of your life. And that's where I'm still at. And um, for me, like for seven years now, I've been focused on innocence work, um, and it's not like this is not volume work. You can't do like 35 cases a year. You do like two, you know, and you stick with those cases for a very long time. Um, but they all have such a profound impact on a family, on a defendant, on, um, and it's worth the time and effort. Do I answer that question as well? I, you want me to follow that? Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, you know, I, Robbie and I met through books, which is how I meet a lot of incredible people. And it's that connection. I mean, I, we met through your memoir. And when you read somebody's memoir, you're reading their heart. And I also had the pleasure of having breakfast with Ravia. So we were just old friends by the time I was on oh, page yeah. three. <laughs> uh, because it's, you know, when you connect with somebody on, on a certain level, it's you just get them on, in, in so many ways. And that's kind of what I do with books, you know, putting them into hands of people who are asking what to read or what, what is meaningful to them or what they're looking for at the time. And so that's how Ravia and I met. But, um, yeah, I can't follow that. I advocate for reading though and um, and meaningful books and also, you know, pleasure which is incredibly meaningful. So Absolutely. yeah. Let's let's start with that conversation on 9-11, which was, you know, I'm a millennial and you know it feels like, okay, you've got 9-11, the financial collapse in two thousand eight, and then the pandemic, all of this with a number of other pushing the boulder up the hill type of experiences for everybody, but especially my generation. But one thing that came out of 9-11, besides, of course, the security and all that business, is a worldview shift that was in some ways horrific and in some ways also shined a light on the U.S.'s role in West Asia, in the Middle East, the relationship between the global north and, frankly, anybody who is brown, black. Sure. It shined a light on that. It's not that this started at 9-12. Right. Uh, right. What have you learned from that experience? What's your biggest message in terms of, hey, 
take a look at the reality of our world and package it for people to understand. Gosh, I mean, like, uh, that's a really big question yeah. because it's been a long time since 9-11 and I've learned a lot of lessons. But one of the most important things I've learned that I try to convey to, especially young people, um, is that change is possible. It is true. There was a, spec you know, I grew up in small town America. My dad worked for the U.S. Um, Department of Agriculture. We, we grew up, like, where there were chicken farms everywhere, right? We were always, like, kind of the odd ducks. But we were just the local brown friendlies. Nobody was... Uh, you know, aggressive to us or rude to us. They were just a little curious. And I never really felt out of place, like, in the country. 9-11 um, is when I, I started questioning whether or not, like, can I raise my children here? Do I belong here? Do I go back home where I was born in Pakistan? What do we do? Um, and it was really disheartening as somebody who really, and, you know, my, my parents really believe in the American dream, and, and my father passed recently, and he passed away believing in the American dream. I asked him six months before he died, do you ever regret moving here and leaving all your relatives behind? He said, never, never. This country was worth it. And, uh, and I started questioning all those, those values after 9-11 because I saw how our community was being treated, not just here, but obviously all over the world where, you know, casually bombing a wedding is like no big deal. We just took out like 75 people. It's okay as a wedding party. Oops. Um, having said that, the lesson I took from that um, is that there, there was a shift though. I mean, for the longest time, the war on terror was supported, you know, just as vociferously from on the left and the right. I mean, like, it wasn't like we found any safe space in, in progressive circles either after 9-11, right? So, but something happened with the election of President Trump. And I think that's when people realize, wait a minute, like there has been like this crescendo of like hate and animus towards, especially Muslims, but you know, all kinds of minorities. And here it is like in live action form, it is taking political, I mean, we've been feeling the political impacts for a long time, but suddenly the, the canaries in the coal mine, like America sort of paying attention, like, oh crap, like how did this happen? Well, it's been, it's been building up to that moment till the Muslim ban. It's not like it came out anywhere. And I, I really think that um, America is able to take stock of itself and to course correct and um, to, not on all fronts, but for many things, like, you know, um, to kind of recognize where it got things wrong, like the war on terror. Like now we question, should we have been in Iraq? Should we have been in Afghanistan? What do we do? What have we done? Is, was Gitmo okay? You know, what do we do? And I, so I appreciate that. And that's the kind of thing, that, that's the lesson I try to tell young people that it feels really disheartening in the moment when you're fighting a battle, but this country always has the potential to change. Mm. That's what I've, I've realized in my adult life at least. Yeah, that's a really powerful way of looking at that. And I think you can apply it across the board, even in sure. your work in innocence. Sure. I mean, yeah. it's a flawed system. We know that. Yeah. It's not yeah. a perfect and, and system. And 10, 12 years ago, innocence was not a thing. Right. People were like, nobody falsely confesses. You know, all forensic evidence is legit, right? It just wasn't even a concept. Like people, it, it's only in the last like decade or so it's really taken off, and people realize that the system can get it wrong over and over again. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when I think about also the timing of your book and yeah. um, and and Nan's uh, freedom. I mean, I know this is your show. <laughs> like, no, I'm please, like, it's you know, not it was, actually. It was my freedom too, frankly, after 23 years. <laughs> I was trying to get it out. I can't believe mm. how long, I mean, that's why, yeah. you know, people are so interested in in so many of the facets of your um, of your professional and personal life. You know, with just, but could you have ever imagined that this book was gonna come out at that time? I mean, that's. 
Absolutely not. Look, I mean, the book took three years to write, and it was supposed to be published uh, last, uh, like a year ago, not this past um, fall. Four months today. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're right. You actually made the date. Yes, you're right. It is. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And so when I we knew it was when we started hearing, hearing rumblings that you know something might happen in Nan's case, I was like. Wait, I have a book tour. Sure. I have a new podcast coming. I was like, I, I was like, this is really bad timing at Don, but fine, bring it, bring it. Yeah. And my dad I know was you've sick. waited this long. I know. Everything yeah. happened. Like everything happened it's in the not, last four months. It's crazy. It is really bizarre, and that we're so thankful because we yeah. reached out in the fall that that this worked out. Yeah. You know that we were yeah. able to bring this all together. Timing is always something that I'm interested in. Yeah. Because it. I don't believe in coincidences. I, I, same. Yeah. yeah same. Mm, and kind of to that on that same idea, you know. You can't force the type of work that you've done. We kind of talked about this, that it, you know you can take on two cases a year or something yeah. like that, realistically, unless you want to employ you know, a government right. department size right. workforce to dig through things. Right. So how do you make a decision about where work takes you? I mean, you obviously have a major story that is what your kind of celebrity level uh, work is built around, but it's. I, I sense that you have a lot of things that you juggle and try to figure out how to follow yeah. the right wave, so to speak. It's, it's, it's always a challenge, and you know, like my career has kind of happened in three big chunks, and you know, I'm, I'm 40, I'll be 49 this year, so I've been working forever, um, but the first, like, 15 years or so was all related really to 9-11. It was post-9-11 immigration and civil rights work, because that was the call of the time. That's what my community needed. Um, I was there weren't a lot of American Muslims in law school when 9/11 took place. A lot went into law school afterwards, but I was part of a small group that was able to understand the community, connect with it, be from it, um, and then that led directly to six years of work in national security policy because I was like, why is my community being surveyed? What is happening? on the policy level in DC, that national security policy that's filtering down to like my, the imam at the local mosque being like, you know, picked up by joint terrorism task forces, you know, to be interrogated. And that led me into six years because I was like, I have to figure this out to find out like what is, how, like how does my community get out of this? How do we escape this uh, trap? Um, six years, and then serial happened. Right. And when serial happened, I was like, I have, my choice is either stick with, and I was doing I mean, like work that just fulfilled me. I work with the, um, the U.S. Institute of Peace, which is an incredible organization, um, the New America Foundation, doing really international level policy work. And then serial happened, I was like, well, serial will end, and then people will say, that was an amazing story, and then forget about it, none. Like, I can lean into this and take the keep pushing on the momentum until he's out, or I just stick with my work. And I said, I don't have a choice. I gotta, I gotta stop. And I wrapped up my, my national security work. And I said, you know, we're we're leaning into innocence. I knew nothing about how to do innocence work. Mm. Teamed up with a couple of lawyers who also knew nothing, and we figured it out. And as we were unraveling Adnan's case, you know, we just kept getting requests from other families and defendants and lawyers and innocence projects. I'm like, when an innocence project is, who's been doing it for decades is like, can you help us? I'm like, okay. That means we got something. Um, and then it's like 25 cases later, I'm still doing that, seven years later. Yeah. And uh, I think that's probably what will be the heart of my work for the rest of my life. Mm. It also talks about, you know, it's a little bit self-congratulatory here, but it talks about the power of the medium and audio, oh, audio first mm -hmm. work. Yeah. That is, 
in an era where short form is huge, TikTok and so on and yeah. so forth, audio first, you know, kind of, this sounds like a commercial, like, you know, but it's, it's, no, true, it's true, I think, that yeah. you can digest it in chunks, you can digest it on long, on flights or car yeah. rides, and you can get the information to convince in yeah. using, putting on your legal hat. Yeah. You can lay a case out very yeah. clearly. I mean, and the intimacy of audio is something that you can't actually get from film and TV. Right. Because the way people connect to, like, podcasters, I mean, like, as, like, literally, I'm just hanging out with my friends. Like, literally, there's a, they connect to the personality. They will follow that personality to the next project, the next project, the next case, and they will trust you, and they will meet you like they've known you forever. Um, I, I know I feel like that because I'm a consumer of audio uh, media, and I feel like that with people I listen to. I don't feel like that with people I watch on TV and film. There is something really intimate, and it creates like real legitimate bonds, and it, it actually can drive people not just to trust you, but to take action based on that trust. Well, I think it's like you feel like you're listening in on someone's conversation, yeah. and you get to know them because there's the conversation about the specific situation you're talking about. Then there's all the other parts that come into a yeah. conversation naturally. Yeah. So it is it is a very intimate yeah. uh, medium. I, I, yeah, and, I agree. And it removes the kind of biases that might, like without even like unconscious biases that person right. might have if they saw you first, mm -hmm. right? Like they get to know you as a person. And I know there are people who listen to me on Serial, then on Undisclosed for years before they saw what I look like. And they're like, oh my God, we had no idea. Maybe if they saw what I look like before they listened to me, they might not want to listen to me, mm -hmm. you know? Which, yeah, I started on radio and as a caller. And then, you know, I was hosting shows, yeah. but I remember once being in the studio and somebody asked the host, you know, what does she look like? And I remember thinking, mm -hmm. and he gave a really ridiculous answer, but it, it was off-putting. And, yeah. and it was, I think for me, starting on radio, it was voice forward and that's, that was the connection. So yeah. there was, it, it's a very interesting... Um, it I didn't know what people, you look like. I've never met you. Yeah, I thought I did, but I guess I didn't. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. So, it forces yeah. people to focus on your ideas. Yeah, like, it's like the yeah. voice. Exactly. It's, you know? exactly. The ideas come across first. So thank you very much. That's, uh, that's all we need to hear today, the podcasts and radio <laughs> rule and everything else is secondary. Thank you very much, all the big TV it's You know, it is... Is it Women's History Month? I, I lose it's track Women's of, History I lose Month. Track it's of International how it's framed. Women's Day. Right, exactly. And some people are saying National Women's so, Day. I don't know. It's confusing. Look at it through that lens, that convenient package. Look at it through just a general, ongoing 24-7, 365 rotation around the sun. <laughs> Bing bangs happening. However, whatever. However, however you want to assess um, uplifting women, either on a condensed or on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, what's your message to anybody out there who's hearing this right now? that is still experiencing that type of bias because of their gender identity and how to seize the moment if that, if, if in terms of kind of a renewed focus that I think in general of people saying, hey, we need to seek equity in any way we can, but almost beyond that sort of like forced um, way of thinking of things. What's your message to women, I guess? Keep it simple. Keep it simple. <laughs> no, no to, to keep the question simple. I, to, keep it, okay, yeah, yeah. to keep the question simple, what is your message to women? I mean, I think, I think what I would want to convey to women is that the challenges you're experiencing, they're not in your head. Mm -hmm. These are set up by, like, these are structures that are deeply embedded in our society, culture, history to make things challenging for you. Like, it's, these are real fights. It's, you know, it's going to feel real personal, but these are real fights that are 
historic fights, there are global fights, and I don't think we're we're ever going to win a lot of these battles until we have a lot more women in leadership. So I really believe in women in leadership on corporate levels, on in in politics, um, in policy. Um, maybe that's when we will get some like real structural change that actually can make our lives easier, <laughs> you know what I mean, and give mm -hmm. us some equity, um, if not exactly equality. So, you know, I, it's not a great message. It's not like an uplifting message other than that, yeah, this is a fight that you can't escape and you have to fight it. This episode was brought to you by the University of Rhode Island Online, who are offering a cannabis certificate program. The legalization of recreational cannabis that went into effect last year, it can open doors for your career. If you're already in the industry or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, the University of Rhode Island has that program to help you become highly competitive in numerous areas of the cannabis industry. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, their certificate program is 100% online and it can be completed in two semesters. The next application deadline for the summer 2023 session is April 4th and courses start on May 9th. Learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or give them a call 401-874-5280.